your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox, alongside us. Today's special guest is Ben Badler of Baseball America. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Badler, all one word. Great to have you back on the Future Sox Podcast, Ben. You're one of our favorite guests, and we love talking to you because the White Sox typically put themselves in the forefront of the international signing markets. And this year, we want to pick your brain about a lot of the players that they're adding to their organization. But before we get into all the details that include guys like Lloyd Chipei and Christian Mena, who you tipped us off to right away, I want to ask you how you're doing personally, how your year has treated you, the offseason, and what you're up to to this point. We're going to cover what you did just recently released on BaseballAmerica.com, and that's the International Signing Review of the Chicago White Sox 2023 class. But love to hear what else you're working on, Ben. I, I am working on just about everything right now. So we've got, obviously, the minor league season underway, so covering minor league prospects. We just updated our top 100. Uh, we'll probably update that again, uh, or we will update that again in, in June. We're going to be updating our top 30s again soon now that, uh, you know, now that we're sufficiently um, you know, into the minor league season and, and a lot more new information to be able to make those update updates with some substance. The MLB draft. I just got back from seeing a, a pop-up guy today, been driving around to see players, talking to scouts, making sure we get updated reports and information on the college guys, the high school guys, everybody around the country, uh, updating our 2024 and, and 2025 draft rankings those are uh you know more my babies whereas the 2023 draft is more of a much more collaborative process from um you know from a whole bunch of people uh, on our staff and then uh, our international reviews we just published uh, about 250 scouting reports on the players who just signed this year in January uh, or since January 15th so uh, scouting reports on the the top players from every organization, sleepers, basically everybody who signed for about one hundred twenty five thousand and up, plus some sleepers to watch from each class, and then you know keeping an eye uh, with reports already out on some players for January twenty twenty four. I was just in the Dominican Republic a, a few weeks ago, saw a ton of players, uh, and then a whole bunch of other stuff behind the scenes that's uh, uh, probably less interesting at. Uh, uh, you know, Baseball America. So you want to be a professional scout. Ben Badler just lays it all out there for you. All of the projects that he's working on, be sure to follow and subscribe to Baseball America because you can just tell right there why we use Baseball America as such a valuable resource. And baseball fans, I know you know this already, but man, is that the goods? And so is Ben. Selfishly, we love that you talk to us about White Sox prospects and international signing classes that the White Sox are a part of. And I want to talk to you specifically about that right now, because I know your time is valuable specifically within this group. You know, they, they kind of went all over the place, a couple of catchers. There's some sleepers in there that I'd love for you to hit on. 
Again, go to Baseball America, check out Ben's piece that we're discussing right now on the Future Sox podcast. A pitcher, Luis Reyes, Abraham Nunez Jr., an outfielder, among others. Can you just run down some of the names that you're excited about seeing? Um, and then especially Luis Reyes. I, James and I are very excited about this prospect, a young prospect. But wherever you want to take this conversation, Ben, it's all yours. Inform us on what the White Sox have in this class. Yeah, I mean, the biggest bonus they paid this year went to Luis Reyes, who you mentioned, a uh, 17-year-old right-handed pitcher out of the Dominican Republic. He was a, a really prominent name, especially early on in the process, because he was um, you know, he was just throwing really hard at a young age. Uh, he was up to 93 at probably like 15 years old, uh, which is really advanced velocity for that age. And now he's throwing 96. So it's it's a big fastball. Uh and he's able to generate it without, you know, throwing with a ton of effort to his delivery. Um, you know, there there has been some history of walks there, but um, it's it's a big fastball. He's you know shown feel for a changeup too. That's it sounds like it's pretty advanced for his age. Uh, it's not super common where you see a you know sixteen seventeen year old pitcher coming out of the. Dominican Republic throwing, you know, showing a ton of feel for a changeup. It's usually, you know, usually fastball, breaking ball. So, uh, you know, some something to, to hang your your hat on with the, uh, you know, big big fastball that's probably going to continue to climb even higher, uh, and some feel for a secondary pitch too. Um, I, I think he's going to have to throw more strikes, but you know, he signed for seven hundred thousand dollars, and it's tricky because. You know, obviously these players are committing to sign with teams in a lot of cases multiple years in advance of when they're actually signing. So, you know, because of that and, and just a whole bunch of other reasons, the signing bonus is not necessarily reflective of the player's value on signing day itself. But I mean, he was the third highest bonus this year for a pitcher out of the Dominican Republic teams are generally hesitant to pay big money for, you know, 16, 17 year old pitchers. I mean, teams are also hesitant to just to even take high school <laughs> right-handed pitchers who are 18 years old in the draft. So you can imagine obviously even more risk when you're taking it down to an, an even younger age, but he was certainly one of the more uh, prominent names available for, for pitchers in the international market this year. Ben, you know, this this guy seems like a little bit different though just cuz of like all the the perfect game events and like the stuff in Florida is like is he closer to a high school prep arm than than most of the pitchers signing out of Dominican and if so, why did he go this route instead of like going through the amateur draft? I think his well his agent I think brought him over to some of the perfect game stuff just to have him you know, try to have him pitch in games and, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I haven't spoken to him about it, so I, I can't speak for it, but, you know, maybe just to get him more experienced pitching in a, a different environment. Uh, you know, a lot of scouts live in, a lot of international scouts live in Florida, so some of them can, you know, swing over and see him if he's, if he's over there. Um, but I think it's just, uh, you know, it, it, it's definitely big time velocity uh, for his age with, I think even more in the tank to to come. So um, I don't know that he's necessarily like a, a polished type of arm necessarily, uh, but it's it's certainly a, a big fastball with the projection for um, you know 
what's already mid nineties velocity and projection for, for potentially, you know, an upper nineties fastball in the not too distant future. Yeah. So they're, you know, their next two guys like bonus wise, Abraham Nunez jr. Um, an outfielder out of the DR, he got the same $700,000 bonus. And then, you know, everybody signs catchers out of Venezuela, but 500,000 for Angelo Hernandez, just, you know, if you could touch on those two guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, I think everybody signs a handful of uh, Venezuelan catchers. It's very uh, popular position in, in that country. And yeah, Hernandez is, you know, there's, there's some strength to, to his frame. Uh, So I think you're, uh, you know, hoping for some some power with with him, uh, but I think with him especially, it's the the defense. Um, somebody who you can feel comfortable about sticking behind the plate. It's you know a lot of times at at that age, you know, you have guys who are more recent conversions to catcher or guys who are just you know bigger body, maybe offensive minded. <laughs> is a maybe a nicer way to to describe some some catcher's defense at that age uh but it's you know that they're not necessarily going to stick behind the plate long term uh with Hernandez I think you have a, a pretty good receiver for his age pretty strong catch and throw skills uh arm is is an above average tool for him so uh somebody you can feel comfortable about sticking behind the plate uh there's power there uh, you know once games get going we'll probably have a better read on uh, the hitting ability and his ability to, to tap into that power in games with somebody who I think you can feel confident about uh, being able or as confident as you can at, at that age to stick behind the plate. And then, you know, Nunez, it's, you know, bloodlines, obviously um, with him is his dad played in the, in the big leagues for, for a few years. And he, you know, he played in some tournaments there in the Dominican Republic, which, you know, more and more teams are having their players who they have committed to already sign playing in in some of these games and tournaments that, you know, the trainers are, are organizing amongst each other just to have everybody playing in, in more games. And I, I think he was somebody who it sounds like did pretty well in, in some of those events, uh, you know, pretty good contact from the right side, pretty good eye for uh, the strike zone. And, you know, he's not hitting the, you know, it's not like crazy huge power right now, but he's, he's six to pretty lean frame. There's some bat speed there. So, um, you know, you can project slash maybe hope for some more power to come. Seems like probably a corner outfielder. I mean, he runs well enough where you can throw him out in center field or, or move him around all three outfield spots uh, right now. But, uh, if you like him, which certainly the the White Sox did for for seven hundred thousand uh, dollars, I think it's the you know the the offensive performance and and contact and ability to to control the the strike zone. I want to talk to you about Juan Uribe Jr. I can't help; I have to ask because White Sox fans want to know what are some of the qualities that make Juan Uribe Jr. stand out. Because two hundred thousand dollars signing, sixteen years old, it's not for nothing. Yeah, I mean the White Sox. I mean, we just mentioned it with a guy, you know, we were just talking about. But you've seen them sign so many guys over the years with bloodlines, uh, you know, big league bloodlines, obviously. But even guys who've, you know, whose parents or, or relatives have played minor league baseball. I think it's uh, probably as much, if not more, than any organization. We, we've seen them sign a lot of sons of, of former big leaguers and, and minor league players and. 
um, you know, certainly <laughs> Uribe Jr. fits that mold. And, um, you know, he's born in, in Chicago when his dad was playing for, for the White Sox. It's, um, you know, the, I, I think the instincts, especially um, offensively, stick out with him. He's, he's not like a huge guy. I mean, he's probably 5'10". There's, he's, I think he's going to maybe not be quite as quite as big as uh as as Juan Uribe his father was but it, you know it is more of that kind of stocky type body once he's physically mature but uh you know it's a, it's a pretty short stroke from from the right side um you know if you, if you like him you you know you've seen him make a lot of contact with some uh you know ability to hit you know fastballs breaking balls not crazy big power or anything, but if you, you know, the scouts who, who liked him seem to, um, you know, think the bat in his case was the, the calling card, not a, not a shortstop. It sounds like he, you know, might even just play exclusively uh, second base from the start, but potentially, a, you know, an offensive minded second baseman if, if everything clicks with him. So Ben, the last guy I want to ask you about from the class and we, we, you know, we saw a lot of these names back in January, obviously one that didn't really register until I read your story. Is it Fabian Isala? He's the right-handed starter out of Venezuela. Your, uh, your write-up was interesting just on how he was a infielder convert and he's throwing pretty hard now. Yeah. Fabian Isai. I mean, he's a good example of where I think, especially with pitchers, the bonus is not going to be necessarily reflective of their talent level. Cause I, I think if you, if you just read his report, I think it's pretty clear, like, <laughs> you know, he signed for $50,000 and this is somebody who had, you know, had everybody seen a lot of him in, you know, big events or something. He'd probably be getting significantly more than that. And he, he's, you know, a little bit of a different case because he was previously a shortstop. He was trying to sign as a shortstop, had a really good arm, didn't really get a lot of bites because of the bat. Um, was was kind of light, but he had a you know good arm, good athlete. They moved into the mound, and it was you know pretty solid at first, and it's really taken off since then. He's been up to ninety five miles an hour. Now he's about a year older than than Luis Reyes, so because um, he was eligible to sign in a, a previous class, but you know ninety five miles an hour at eighteen years old is still really good. Uh, and again, he's, he's athletic from his, his shortstop days. There's a lot of arm speed still there. And, and you look at his delivery and it's, I mean, it's a pretty solid delivery for somebody who hasn't been pitching that long, but you can see some, some things that are mechanical inefficiencies that are almost good to see in a way, because if he's throwing 95 like that, I think once you have him make some very manageable adjustments and then just continue, you know, getting bigger and stronger. I think you might see him throwing in the upper nineties at some point. And then his curveball is also a a pretty sharp pitch. I think it's a, has a chance to be a swing and miss pitch for him. Um, I don't know. I mean, it it could end up like Christian may not, I mean, he's not going to follow that same or He hasn't really followed that same developmental path, but yeah, that same way where I was excited about Mena after he signed and watching him pitch and seeing the projection that he had with a to his fastball and his ability to to spin a curveball. I think Isaiah has some of those same 
qualities that, that get you excited about, oh, like this is good stuff now and there's still projection for it to continue to get better, especially given his um, you know, pretty minimal pitching experience at this point. So, you know, the White Sox have had some high profile hits, obviously. You know, I kind of talk about their their puzzling strategy at times on the international market. And once again, they have close to one and a half million dollars left to spend. Uh, do you think, like, just in your opinion, that's kind of, you know, like all of a sudden the next couple months here, there's another Voidel Chapei or, you know, somebody after a showcase that they just kind of spend that million dollars on at some point? Yeah, I'm not sure if that's going to be, you know, one player who pops up and, and they spend it all on or, or if it's just going to be a whole bunch of different players who are, you know, I, I don't even want to call these guys late bloomers, right? Because like, some of them are still 16 years old or they're 17 years old. Like if, if they were in the States, we wouldn't even be, you know, talking about them as, uh, you know, draft picks for this year yet if, if they were in high school. So, um, you know, I think there's... There's, there are some advantages to having more money left to maneuver around before the signing period ends at, in December and, you know, go around and keep checking on, uh, especially arms can just pop up like, you know, like we mentioned with Isaiah or, you know, other guys who, um, I mean, you just look at the whole Astros rotation, not that they were, <laughs> uh, you know, expensive signings, but you can get some great, great arms uh, in Latin America who are not, you know, 16, 17 year old pitchers um, who might be under the radar. So I don't know exactly the direction they're going to go, but it definitely does give them some flexibility uh, for the rest of the year while a lot of other teams have, you know, pretty much focusing on players who are going to be signing in like 2026 and 2027 at this point. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm curious too, Ben, about newly acquired right-handed pitcher Yosimar Cousine. Cuban right-hander, 25 years old. What's his proximity to the big leagues? And how do you think he'll be able to pitch stateside in advanced competition at AAA? Yeah, he. I saw him pitch for, I think, the Cuban, I want to say it was their 18U national team. So he must have been like 17 or 18 at the time. So when I heard he was, and I liked him back then, and I heard he was, uh, you know, he became available to sign. And I was like, oh, yeah, I just saw him pitch in a few years ago. And then I realized, oh, no, <laughs> that was more than uh, a few years ago. But, you know, I think it's, you know, it sounds like mid 90s fastball or, you know, reaching mid 90s uh, up to 95 
you know, some guys like his, his slider or uh, his changeup, I think it, you know, depends on the, the scout or uh, what days you, you see him, but uh, probably the, the slider, I think gets the, the most praise among his off speed stuff, uh, you know, probably some split camp among whether he's a starter reliever. I imagine they'll develop him as a starter, but I, I wouldn't be surprised though, Millie, if it ends up in a bullpen role, but yeah, somebody really just need to see him pitching in games here, uh, especially stateside to really get a better feel for where he's at right now. But I, yeah, I imagine he'll probably go to double A or, or higher to, to start. When we stick on the topic of pitching, you know, give you props for your love for Christian Mena. He continues to have an upward trajectory among the White Sox. And as a 19-year-old, you'd love to see him compete at high-level high, at high competition across a full season. We're seeing him in double-A currently. Now, I don't know what your opinion is of, of the use of the newly tacked ball that reportedly gives more uh, feel for the pitcher to maybe add some more spin rate to it. Regardless, as a 20-year-old, we're seeing Christian Manning compete at double-A. What do you think of the pathway to where he is today? And is there as high of an upside as we're optimistic about feeling considering the velocity went up he did add some size and again he's healthy enough to pitch through a full season affiliate at a high level we're just thinking maybe in a year or two is this really a mid-rotation starter that the White Sox are grooming currently it could be I mean I I don't know that I would expect him to be able to pitch at that capacity within a year because he'll be what I think still 21 years old right at that point so that would be a, a Big ass, but I, I do think long term he does have that potential. Like you said, it's man, it's it's tough right now in the Southern League because they are using that uh, what that pre-tacked baseball, and it seems like pitchers are been able to get extra carry on their fastball, but it doesn't seem to help, <laughs> and it seems to hurt with uh, their control. So you've got you know strikeouts up, walks up. Uh, hit by pitch up, not what I think MLB was hoping to see. And then just with everybody in that league, it's tough because I, I just frankly don't give MLB any benefit of the doubt with even what they might be doing to change the baseball <laughs> in in between right now. Uh, I, I don't think they've been known for their transparency or candor with the ball in recent history. So uh, it's it's a little bit challenging to know what exactly to make of players in the Southern league this year. But um, I mean, you're seeing, you're seeing him miss a lot of bats and and that's consistent with what everything we've seen from him, um, you know, before this year too, it's, it's definitely a very aggressive timetable or, or path that they've pushed him on, but it, it also seems like it's, it's been merited <laughs> in his case. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot to, to like with him, athletic right-hander, good fastball feel to to spin a you know a plus breaking ball feel for um, you know a changeup too, and and I think he will he, he has a kind of delivery where I think he will throw enough strikes too. So yeah, I think long term he has that potential to develop into a mid rotation starter, uh, but I don't know that I would expect him to you know be be at that level within necessarily the next couple of years. So, Ben, you know, one of those high-profile signings, you know, that we've tracked for years, Oscar Colas, like, any surprises for you, just, like, on the path so far, like, how quick they kind of 
brought him through. I mean, he started in the majors and and it kind of went the way I think we anticipated, you know, it's like over a 40% chase rate, but then, you know, right now he's demolishing the international league because those pitchers aren't good enough. So, you know, I, it just kind of seems like he's going to have to come back up and prove it in the big leagues at some point. But is any of this, I guess, surprising to you so far? I think the, I mean, just the way, the way he actually performed last year, surprised me i didn't expect him to hit to the level that he did last year um so i thought that was that was definitely encouraging at the same time i think the like you mentioned the the chase tendencies with him or something where i thought would potentially get him get him into trouble um he does obviously have big power but the the approach has been a, a concern for me. I mean, we, we had him obviously in our, our preseason top 100. I was somebody who was lower on him than that. Like he, he would not have been in my top 100. I, I understand why he's there because of uh, the power and, and the performance at the upper levels. But, uh, and, and you guys, I'm sure have you know, seen even a lot more of him in, in the big leagues this year than, than I have. So, um, but it, it does seem like the the approach right now is has been holding him back. Last year's class was led by Colas, obviously. And then, you know, there was a, you know, I don't know if hype's the right word, but I mean, Eric Hernandez, they signed a million dollar player out of the DR that's a teenager and they rarely do that, right? And, you know, he battled some knee injuries and I think we'll see him stateside. But just, you know, I guess if you could comment on him and then, you know, to me, like Ryan Burroughs, kind of came out of nowhere and he's, you know, he's on top 30 lists at multiple publications. And then, you know, Chapei signed late. He was a little bit tough to judge, but is now at Winston-Salem performing pretty well. So I guess just thoughts on those three guys, if you would. Yeah. I mean, I think Hernandez, obviously the reason they signed him was because of their belief in his hitting ability. And, you know, you just look at the year he had last year. It was not great. I mean, what <laughs> it, uh, you know, low, 200s and slugged in the 200s and you know we've seen guys like that who guys who have done that in the dsl just get stronger and mature as hitters and end up being good big league players but um obviously when you're i think he played center field last year i think long term he's a corner outfielder though so um, as a corner outfielder you, you hope to see him make some big improvements this year but uh sure last year was not what they were uh, expecting or hoping for with him. Uh, Ch- yeah, Chepayi is a, a really interesting guy. I remember seeing him play when he was, again, significantly younger, playing in, in Cuba on one of their, uh, you know, an international tournament. And he, he was one of my favorite hitters there. Um, one of the, just one of my favorite young, like up and coming hitters in Cuba. But, you know, when I saw him, he was playing first base and I think he's playing some left field in in Cuba uh so the second base that that they moved him to is is an interesting uh, I don't know experiment I don't know if that's the right word but it's an interesting move uh, and hopefully it it's able to work out for him because yeah like you said I mean tough to judge a you know 20 year old guy in the DSL last year so as good as the numbers were a lot of you know <laughs> You have to contextualize that, and it's hard to take away too much from that. But then, well, we didn't, yeah, like we didn't know how to rank him, Ben. 
Like, yeah. Oh, we you know, don't like know we would ask like... people, right. Like, <laughs> like we do, you know, we like update our top 30 or whatever. And we have, you know, we have Bill Mitchell on occasionally and, you know, we were just kind of like, what do we, what do we do here? <laughs> you know, like, cause it was a little bit crazy, but yeah, it's, you know, all these guys, you know, basically everybody right now is staying, you know, maybe the exception of like Ethan Salas, but, um, all, all these guys are playing, you know, Cuban, Dominican, all, all these international players are, uh, or, or Latin American players are debuting in the DSL in part for, uh, tax reasons. So they are able to keep more of their bonus money, which is a great thing for the player. But at the same time, like, yeah, like you want to see a 20 year old player playing against more advanced competition than the, the DSL, um, you know, certainly us and, you know, you know, what, what you guys and what, what we do trying to evaluate these players, but I'm sure for, as an organization too, it's more beneficial to, you know, not have a 20 year old hitter playing in the DSL still, but to see what he's doing now, this 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 spring to start the year in high A in Winston Salem is is really encouraging. So um, you know, I, I haven't seen him play this year, so I can't speak to it specifically. But um, just knowing his history, I always really liked his hitting ability. It was just more of like, okay, is he really gonna hit enough to play first base or or left field, and, and not really f- the ideal physical body <laughs> for first base uh kind of a on the, on the shorter side still but um the fact if, if he's able to play and, and handle second base he becomes a lot more intriguing because there's definitely there's definitely things there to like from an, an offensive perspective with him and then i guess just like how much so like we talked about some of your sleepers right and you've told mm-hmm. us about these guys in the past one of yours last year was ryan burrows i think he was 75k out of panama and you know, had a had a pretty good year and has gotten some love. I guess, like, how much of a sleeper was he? Uh, yeah, I mean, he he came out and had a like you said a pretty nice year in the DSL. wasn't like crazy swing and miss or anything like that. You know, showed some ability to work the count, some flashes of power too. So he was not a yeah, like he wasn't a super high profile signing, like you said. Seventy thousand uh, dollars, you know, Panama every now and then will have a, a big signing, but it's not a not like a baseball hotbed by any means for for international signings. But he, yeah, he showed a lot of things to to like the the athleticism. There's some um, you know good things that he he does with his swing between uh, balance and and pretty quiet um, approach with him. So. You know, like a pretty, like no, like super, super, like seventy type carrying tool, but pretty good performance already, and, and a pretty solid like uh, tool set across his board. Uh, and I, I know, I guess, with obviously the you know the speed to go with it too. Ben, I have a big picture question for you, and it's related to Marco Patti and the Chicago White Sox way of going about the international marketplace compared to the rest of Major League Baseball. Now we're seeing so many players of recent years develop and find their way on top 30 lists at Baseball America, which should be celebrated. I'm just curious what it means to to the White Sox compared to the rest of the league in building through the international marketplace, and how would you grade the way they go about it? Yeah, they definitely do things uh, differently than other organizations and, and probably the biggest and most obvious difference is the emphasis 
that they've had on signing Cuban players. And it's such a, it's such a different group of players compared to most, like I think it's like 90% or something like that. of players are signed uh, internationally from two countries, right? The Dominican Republic and Venezuela. And, uh, you know, teams are basically reaching deals with these players at base, essentially any age. Whereas with, you know, the Cuban players, they, you, you do see the younger Cuban players, coming out now when they're like, you know, even like 13, 14 years old. So it's more comparable to the the Dominican and Venezuelan players. But, uh, you know, then you're seeing guys come over like, you know, whether it's Luis Robert or, you know, or Yelbert Sanchez, uh, Oscar Colas, Norhe Vera, uh, these guys who are, you know, you know, not all necessarily working out, but guys who are a little bit more older, uh, more just more physically advanced, can move a little bit faster than the you know sixteen, seventeen year old kids um, that you're that you're signing otherwise, and it's 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 just been a different I think emphasis for them, or just that they it was just that we've seen the way that they've approached the international market. Um, some and it's it's difficult because you don't necessarily know which players obviously are even going to be available, right? Like obviously in the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, you know, uh, you don't necessarily know every single baseball player in, in the country, but you know, you know, oh, this player is going to be eligible in 2024 or 2025 with a Cuban players. You obviously just have to wait and see, um, you know, who comes out and, and who becomes available. So I think that's been, that's the biggest difference between, uh, you know, the, the signings that we've seen from the White Sox compared to other organizations. Uh, and then I, I think the White Sox are, at the same time, they're they're pretty aggressive when it comes to making decisions on players that they like. I mean, you know, like you said, Marco Patti's running their international scouting and, you know, I, I don't know exactly how long he's been doing this, but I, I imagine it's just, I mean, going back to, I mean, the Blue Jays and, and I think the Braves days, it's probably been over 30 years, right? So, uh, you know, when you've been doing this and, and seeing these players for, you know, two, three plus decades, probably have a lot of confidence in your, uh, you know, ability to make decisions on players pretty quickly. So, um, you know, I'm not saying they're doing that for the players where they're, you know, not, not like an Eric Hernandez where you're giving a guy a million dollars or something like that. Uh, but I think they're, you know, they're quick to move when they see a player who, who they like for, you know, a, you know, kind of a more, you know, mid range or, or lower type signing bonus. Uh, and they act pretty, pretty aggressively to try to make sure they, they secure those players before, um, you know, <laughs> somebody else comes in and, and tries to either, uh, you know, tries to, to make an offer for them. Yeah. So like, you know, Patty's respected obviously, and he has like real skins on the wall, but like for me and you look, you might not be able to answer this, but like there is a disconnect somewhere. Like, is it, do you think it's like more of like an organizational philosophy? Cause you know, they're not handing out three and $4 million bonuses to teenagers in the Dominican Republic. And like, I just wonder if Marco Patty was somewhere like completely unencumbered like, is that part of his strategy or is it just that like, you know, he kind of has to do things the way that White Sox ownership and other factors here prefer to. It's just, you know, it's strange to me because he he's found good players. He really has. But I just feel like they leave something to be desired by never going out for that one big bonus sometimes. 
Yeah, when you, when you like disconnect in terms of from, yeah, like the, I, rest, I just, from the rest of the industry. Yeah, yeah, as far exactly. As going after like the you know like the Wander Franco or somebody like that of, of the yeah, world. Yeah, exactly. It just seems like they're never involved, and I don't know if that's because you know like ownership just like doesn't want to sign thirteen year olds potentially. I I don't know. I don't know like what the they just don't typically do it. Um. Yeah, that's a good question. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like we have seen it happen in, in some instances, right? Like, you know, maybe Eric Hernandez is not like a, you know, a multi-million dollar guy, but, you know, we've we've seen it with certain other players. But, but yeah, I mean, generally, I think you're you're right. Like their big bonuses have been, again, like, you know, the Norhe Vera or Yolbert Sanchez, uh, you know, these Cuban players who are, uh, you know, older than your traditional player from the from the DR or... Venezuela. So I'm not a hundred percent certain about how, you know, influential ownership is in that. But my sense is both ownership and, you know, the, you know, senior, you know, management there uh, gives a lot of independence to Marco Patti. I think they have a lot of confidence in him uh, leading that program and are they seem like they're pretty hands off to me. Um, so it, my sense is it's not too influenced by ownership as far as the strategy that they take. I, I could be completely wrong on that, but they do seem to give him a lot of you know freedom and independence to go out and here's your bonus pool and you know sign the players you want. Obviously, you know Luis Robert is a <laughs> a different example where yeah that's going to involve a lot of you know a lot of more higher ups up to the the ownership level but um, they do seem to give him a lot of freedom to operate the way um, he wants to to do things internationally yeah so you know you mentioned this guy earlier it's it's not white Sox related but it's fascinating so you know your number one player obviously and everybody's number one player ethan salas like mm-hmm. 5.6 million to the padres it's pretty much all of their bonus pool I guess just like how uncommon and crazy is this that he's, you know, this advanced and it seems like he's he's going to like go to the ACL, right? I think to start. I might even skip the ACL. So it's crazy. That's that's, yeah, that's how advanced he is. It's yeah, it's pretty incredible. He's already in our top 100. We 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 don't really do that often. I mean, we did it with did with Wander Franco, um, you know, we did, uh, I don't, I don't Jason Dominguez, with, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Jason Dominguez. I don't think we did it with Vlad Jr. right away. Um, I, you know, we did with Kevin Maiton too, right? Like it's not, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, they, they don't all work out, but you know, it's, he's, yeah, he's very, very advanced both offensively and defensively. It's, you know, he comes from a baseball family, uh, his, his dad played his, uh, uh, you know, his older brother is uh, Jose Salas, uh, who signed with the the Marlins for a whole bunch of money. He got traded to the Twins, so just grew up playing a ton of baseball. You, you just put him behind the plate, and he looks like a double A catcher right now. It's so loose and flexible and agile and soft hands and strong arm and quick release and just everything. Just checks every box you could really ask for from a still 16-year-old catcher and then offensively such a fluid, compact, 
again, easy swing. Everything just seems to come so easy to him. He was, you know, catching big leaguers, uh, bullpens, catching in games and bear, you know, playing in minor league spring training games against, you know, double a upper level arms and just barreling those guys. It was pretty, pretty exciting to, to see a lot of pro scouts were definitely buzzing about him. So before we let you go here, I wanted to tell you just how much, you know, you and Carlos do a great job on the future projection pod. I don't know how many people are listening to it, but you know, our listeners and you know, they're, uh, they're, they're a little bit long sometimes, but I, I like that because you guys, you guys tackle like a whole bunch of different topics and kind of what you talked about at the beginning, like talking about players for 24 and 25 and you're like all over it. I just, you know, I, I enjoy it. I just wanted to tell you that it's, uh, it's pretty good. It's part of my weekly listen. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I love talking to Carlos and yeah, I just love the podcast format where, I mean, like if you're like, I know you guys are, and I'm sure everybody listening right now, if you're listening to a podcast about White Sox international signings or just White Sox prospects in general, like, you know, you're not a casual fan. Like you're probably pretty, pretty diehard, you know, baseball and prospect fan too. So um, I just love being able to yeah go along and, and just go into a lot more nuance and depth and, and have those kind of deeper conversations that are harder to have in like a, you know, a radio hit or TV appearance or, or even just in, in writing sometimes where, you know, you can just have a little bit more drawn out, nuanced, thoughtful conversation about, you know, whether it's specific players or just more general philosophy theory type stuff about the game. So yeah, I definitely appreciate the kind words on that. Be sure you're subscribed to BaseballAmerica.com because everybody there does tremendous work for baseball fans like you. So support Ben by signing up on BaseballAmerica.com. Ben, thanks so much for your time. Get some rest, man. Enjoy the rest of the year and, <laughs> and stay on it. We'll be reading. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's exciting to just go out and see players and get all the new information that, that we get from scouts. So it's it's a lot of work, but I love it. And it's definitely energizing to, to see these guys and, and just to talk about them uh, like we're doing today. So I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, there's nothing like being there in person, evaluating and then collaborating with like-minded individuals. It's what makes scouting and learning about the game great. So it's always a lot of fun, insightful to have Ben Badler, Baseball America, join us on the Future Sox podcast. We look forward to the draft every year because there's a lot of coverage here on futuresox.com and Sox Machine. This year's no different. Really looking forward to all of you listening to join us for the draft show that we have coming up, so more information will be forthcoming. So thanks so much for your support. For Ben Badler and James Fox, my name is Mike Rankin. We drop episodes every Tuesday. We'll talk to you all next week.